0: We're going to read from Isaiah chapter six. Is that all right? Let's do it. Um, We're going to read just verses one to eight. I think I need to trim my moustache as a hair. It keeps tickling my nose. (laughs) You keep those scissors away from me. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Isaiah six. Here we go. In the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes... I've seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. I I know, for those of you who are tracking through the Bible in two years with us, I know that we're way past Isaiah 6 now, right? And um, that that was technically in the previous week's readings. And I know that normally what we do on a Sunday is we preach from the readings that we've been hanging out in that last week. But I got to Isaiah 6, and I just, I have read past it, but I couldn't move past it in my heart. I just, I was just stuck there. And I kept coming back to it every day. And I just felt like God was wanting to speak to us through this. And a little bit to pick up from where we were last week when we looked at the four kings at the start of Isaiah. Um, and it really struck me, this, this first line, I think is such, a, such, just a simple line. I think that often when we read lines like this, we just read over it as if it has nothing more to say to us than just about the date in which something happened, Right. And then we read on to the the important part, the next bit, the temple and the seraphim and the smoke and the holy, holy, holy. And we miss that very first bit. And I just couldn't shake that first line, which says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. And it struck me, you know, that at the start of chapter 6, We've got two thrones that have been juxtaposed next to each other. We've got the throne of Uzziah and the throne of the Lord, the throne of this human king, and the throne of the king of all creation, the holy, holy, holy one. We've got these two thrones. And it's interesting to me that for for five chapters, Isaiah has been speaking on behalf of God, speaking about God, telling people about what he's seen. But it's not until now that he sees the Lord. Right? He's seen so many things, but now he sees the Lord. Why now? Because this is the year That king Uzziah died. I wonder what kings there are for us. What rulers there are in our lives. What words that have authority over us. What passions and desires that drive us. Kings, authorities, rulers in our lives. What rulers are stopping us. See the Lord high and lifted up. Some of us have been coming to this place or other churches and now you're here, but you've been coming to church for years and years and years. And like Isaiah in chapters one to five, you believe, you say it, you speak it, you believe it. But some of you are still waiting to see the Lord exalted on the throne of your life. Some of you are like, I've been living with this or this or this or this for years and years and years. And I believe that God can heal. I believe that God forgives. I believe that God has grace for me. I believe that God can set free. And yet I don't feel like I'm experiencing the power of God in my life. And some of us have just settled for that. That's okay. That's just where we're at. God's still God and that's all good. But we believe in a God that is seated on a throne, that has authority, that is holy. That means he's set apart. He is totally different to anything else that you have experienced. And yet somehow some of us aren't plugging into that. We're not seeing that. And the reason for that is because there are some other kings on the thrones of our hearts and the thrones of our minds that need to die So that we can actually see the one who's on the throne of thrones, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the name above all names, Jesus. Some of us need to have those kings die. You know, it struck me as well about Uzziah. Do you remember Uzziah is the first of the four kings that are listed in chapter one of Uzziah? During the lifetime of Isaiah's speaking, these kings are on the throne. And you remember we talked about these four kings last week. We talked about Uzziah and we said that he was a really good king until he went into the temple and all of his goodness had turned into pride in his heart. And he walked into the temple and he started doing the role of the priests, which he wasn't actually allowed to do. But he became the big I am. And so he thought he could do anything. And in that moment, when he overstepped the mark, he got struck down with leprosy in the temple. And because of that, he never went back to the palace. It was a shameful thing in that day and age to have leprosy. And so he left the temple and he lived secluded for the rest of his life. He never went back to the throne. And his son Jotham was on the throne at that point. And it struck me that even though Jotham was now on the throne, Uzziah was also still technically king. And there were two kings in Israel at this point, Two kings in Judah. And it got me thinking, Matt, how many kings are on the throne of your life? How many kings are sharing that seat? Because when there are more kings than just the one, we live a divided life. We live a life that is torn. We're pulled in all kinds of directions. And we never fully live under any one of them. And so we never fully experience the power of the reign of any one of these kings. We live divided. We've got a little bit of our throne for God and a little bit for us. A little bit for his ways and a little bit for our ways. Some of us have got money sitting on the thrones of our lives. Money drives us. It's all about the money. Chasing after that, getting that. Some of us, it's other things. It's lust. For some of us, uh, it is work. We're driven by work. I've got to do, do, do. That's where I get my purpose. That's that's what says who I am. That's what speaks over me. For some of us, it's family. For some of you, you're offended right now that I've said that. (laughs) It's family. How can that be so bad, Matt? But when anything sits higher in your life than Jesus, you've got the wrong king on the throne. Family is amazing. So is work. So is sexual desire, by the way. All of these things are good when they are brought under the will of God, under his rule and reign. But when they're put above him, they're out of whack, and the goodness is distorted and twisted, and it leads to brokenness in our lives. We spend our lives trying to please these things, trying to fill our lives with these things, these these people. We need to honor them and do everything for them. And and actually, we don't fully live. And actually, in that moment, you, you don't fully love or honor your family either. Because you're not fully being who you were made to be. Oh, it's so sad, and yet it's all around us, and it's in the church. For some of us, huh, for some of us, these things are king. These little gods. <laughs> they suck up our time. We're obsessed, constantly just scrolling, and we miss the beauty around us. For some of us, these little gods are breaking and ruining our relationships. They're driving wedges between us and our friends, us and our partners, us and our children. All kinds of other kings. You fill in the blanks. I bet as we're talking now, some of you, the Holy Spirit is just prompting your heart and you know what it is. You know what it is. I don't know about you, but I want to see the Lord high and lifted up. I want him seated on the throne of my life. But I want to give you a little bit of a warning. Is that all right? <laughs> that I think we see in this passage. So there's this, this moment when Uzziah dies. Okay, there's no more two kings, there's not a dividedness of rule in Isaiah's nation anymore. There's just the one king, right? And so Uzziah dies. And in that moment when that king is taken off the throne and he's put to death, or he dies. (laughs) But when that happens, suddenly Isaiah sees the Lord. He has this vision of God on the throne. You're like, boom. This is epic, right? Isn't this what we want? This is incredible. But um, look what happens (laughs) when Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. Chapter 6, verse 5. Woe to me. Woe to me. I am ruined, he says. I'm ruined. I really, really, really want to encounter more of Jesus in my life. But you know when that happens, be prepared to be ruined. Be prepared to be humbled. Be prepared to say woe to me. Woe to me. When these other kings are taken off the throne, which we think is a good thing, and suddenly God is on the throne, which is an incredible thing, we actually become aware of some of the other not-so-good things that have grown in us while we've been living under the rule, the covering, of this other king. You see, these other kings, they, they provide a covering for the things that are in our lives. They make the things that are in our lives okay, because they're okay with it, so we become okay with it, and actually God's not okay with it. So when that king, that covering is taken off, and suddenly God's covering is over us, all that stuff that that king allowed to grow in us, God's like, yeah, no, that doesn't really have a place in my kingdom. And you're like, but this is part of who I am. This is part of what I feel. This is part of my pattern and my way of doing things. And when that king is removed, suddenly there's revelation. There's the incredible revelation of who God is, but there's the revelation of who we are and who we have become or another king has been reigning in our hearts and not him and not him. And it's like we're being brought into the light, and suddenly all of our darkness is exposed. And that, that can feel uncomfortable, right? And in some ways it should, because that's what judgment is. And we're going to get onto this in the weeks ahead. But Isaiah is full of judgment. Anybody been like, oh, woe to me for I am reading Isaiah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's full of judgment. You're like, oh, 66 chapters. Isn't it funny? Because everyone's like, oh yeah, Isaiah, what an amazing book. Don't you love Isaiah? And then you read it and you're like, well, I love that bit. And that bit. <laughs> but the rest of it, you're like, this is, this is hard. This is heavy. There's judgment and judgment and judgment. But here's the thing about judgment with God. It is a good thing. Judgment is rooted in the Genesis story. All right, Back in Genesis 1 when God separated light and dark and he separated the waters above and below and he separated the waters and the land, that's what he did. He judged between. He judged between. He separated. He, he, He brought distinction to these things. This is good. This is not. This is light. This is dark. And when God does that, what happens in that story is that life springs up. When God judges, life happens. When God separates, spaces where we can find hope and joy and peace become realities that we get to live in. And so when we step into the light and we're like, woe to me. Like, look at my life. Now that king isn't covering me. I see that this is not okay. This is uncomfortable. When I look against the word of God and his word and what it says, this is not okay. This is not his heart for me. It's like we've been exposed in the light. But if you're feeling that, if you're in that place, hang in there. Because God's judgment is good. And his, his goodness, well, that comes next. What he does next is incredible. When God judges, he's able to bring about amazing things. Look at the next few verses. This is what happens. Verse 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim uh, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. This is cool. So a couple of things. One, the coal comes from the altar in heaven. From the temple in heaven, the coal comes and it touches his lips. The coal is on the altar. It's where the sacrifices are made, okay? And and that coal comes and touches him. It's almost like Isaiah has suddenly become a sacrifice. He's been placed on the coal. The coal's touched him. It's like he's become part of it. And and I love this. It got me thinking about Romans 12. It's like in that moment, Isaiah has become a living sacrifice. The, The coal of the altar has touched him, but he lives on and he's cleansed and he's made right. And he's transformed, like Romans 12 says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Crawl up onto the altar and then be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's something that happens when we come to that altar, to that place where we lay our lives down and we say, God, I am not what I should be. And and we let him do what he does. And we are transformed. And in that moment, Isaiah is transformed. And we'll talk about that in a bit. But he becomes this living sacrifice. But but more than that, there's something else that I love about this. The coal comes from the altar, but not the altar in the temple in Jerusalem, from the altar in the temple in heaven. And we read in the Bible that the temple on earth is just a mirror of the, the greater temple in the heavens. And in Hebrews chapter 9, it tells us this, that, that Christ became the only sacrifice that could be offered on the altar in the heavens. So the blood of Jesus drips onto the coals of the altar in the heavens, and then this coal is taken and touches the lips of Isaiah, and Isaiah is atoned, sin is atoned for by the same thing that atones for our sin, the blood of Jesus, who died once For all. From the beginning to the end, Jesus' sacrifice is enough because his is the eternal sacrifice on the altar of the temple of heaven. And Isaiah is cleansed and made right because of Jesus. And that word there where it says he's atoned, the word atoned in Hebrew, it means covered. Covered. That's what the word means. So Isaiah has gone from being under the covering of Uzziah, of one king who has now died, to the covering of King Jesus. Another king who has covered him and made all well. Isn't that amazing? I love that the cold touches his lips as well, because the Bible says that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Right? And so this cold comes and it touches his lips. Why? Because what comes out of our mouths, what we do in our lives, the things that we do, they come from what's in our hearts. And our lips expose us. Our lives expose us. Our actions, our words, the way that we are with people exposes what's really in here. And God says, I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to make all of that mess okay. And I'm going to cover it. I'm going to cover it. For some of you here today, this is the bit for you. I'm calling this part one. Is that okay? (laughs) There's only two. Don't worry. (laughs) But this is the bit for you guys. For some of you... You need a vision of God. You are desperate for it. Some of you have become dry. Just living out your Christian life. Day in day out. Year after year. Some of you have never met God. Never encountered him. But today he wants you to have a vision of him. Today he wants to meet with you. Today is the day when you get to see the Lord high and lifted up. When he gets to take the throne of your heart. And that. That can challenge us. That can make us uncomfortable. That can make things feel a little bit awkward. It can, uh, it can reveal the things in our lives that are not good with God. Things that we thought were fine. But here's the other thing it reveals. It reveals who he is. It reveals who he is. And you know what the seraphim call to each other? Holy, holy, holy. You know that means set apart. It means completely other. It means different to anything you've ever experienced. And in this life, we've been living under all kinds of other gods, all kinds of other rulers and kings. And they want from us and they demand from us and they suck our time and they suck our energy and they, they, they need us just to keep, keep just drawing from them and living with them and under them. And, and we get drawn into them and we become addicted to things and I hope they rob us of our joy. But this God is holy, holy Holy, he is different to any other God, any other king, any other desire that you've ever known. This God is good, and when this God sees you struggling with the things that you're struggling with, here's what He does He dispatches from heaven one to come to you and to atone for it and to make it all right. He puts you under a new covering a covering of grace, a covering of hope, of forgiveness, of freedom. That's what He wants for you. That's what he wants for you. That's who he is. Some of you just need to hear that today and just take that in. Some of you, this bit's for you. Some of you have known this. Some of you are living with God on the throne of your life. Some of you have encountered him. And the story doesn't stop there for Isaiah. It goes on in verse eight, and it says that he heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, send me, send me. I want to pull out some stuff here. You see, Isaiah had a vision, and in his vision, he saw the seraphim. And they're these crazy Angelic beings. I don't know how you imagine them, but the Bible describes them as being like fiery serpents. A bit weird, right? But these these angelic beings with six wings and they're on fire all the time. This is what they're like. That's nuts, right? I don't know how you picture that. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I'm not sure about the burning coal. I think I'd be terrified of the burning angel that was coming towards me. <laughs> like you know, but but these the seraphim. He has this vision of this, and I just want to I want to go back through Isaiah verse two down to eight and say. What do we learn from the seraphim? Because I think, I think that the reason Isaiah says, Lord, send me, is because he saw something going on with the seraphim in the heavens and realized that he was supposed to do something on the earth, right? So if you cast your eyes back to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2, the first thing that I saw with the seraphim was this. They've got six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. Here's here's the thing with this. The two that covered their faces, hey, this is because they had reverence for the Lord. They're in the presence of God and they've got their faces covered. They're in right relationship with God. They are living in a way that respects and honors who he is, not looking on the face of God. They've got this right standing with God. They know that he is king and they are not. And so they humble themselves and they've covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. Back in these ancient times, feet were, I mean, today feet are often dirty and smelly, aren't they? In fact, I remember when I was doing youth work, I don't know what it was with the group of young people that I did youth work with, but they like—they—they they were so weirded out by feet. Like, I, I've never known people so weirded out by feet. I took them to a worship event once, right? And <laughs> we're at this worship event, and suddenly the lady in front of us, takes off her sandals and she's dancing around barefoot and they're like this. Like, backs up against the wall and I'm like, I'm there like, yeah. (laughs) What's going on, guys? (laughs) Feet. But back then, back then, it was worse, right? Back then, they did not have imperial leather to wash their feet with. They, or whatever you use, your, your sauce mint shower gel and all that kind of thing, you know. Um, they didn't have any of that. Back then, it was just a bowl of water. Occasionally, after hours of walking dusty roads, and it was bad, you know. Feet were a dirty thing. They represented the dirt of our lives, which is why it's so incredible when Jesus washes his disciples' feet, Right? But the angels, they cover their feet. They're covering the thing that represents the dirt, the sin, the brokenness. They cover it in the presence of God. And with two, they're flying. And I was thinking, oh man, what do we learn from them? We need to be in right relationship with God. We need to humble ourselves before him. We need to have our sin covered, atoned for. And with two, they were flying. I do you know what I think I learned from that? When we're right with God and we're covered, we've got freedom to fly, to move, to go, to be sent, to live for him. Come on. That's the first thing. Look at chapter 6, verse 3. They were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Who were they calling to? To each other to each other. They were calling to each other, and they were declaring to each other, holy, holy, holy. I love this because I think that Isaiah realized, wow, look, these seraphim, they are calling to each other, to to their kind, and they're declaring to each other about who this God is. And I think he realized, man, I get to do that too. I get to declare to people like me About who this God is. And and I love that Isaiah, when he encounters God, he's like, woe to me. Uh, Because I think in chapters 1 to 5, probably he was like, boom, I am the prophet. This is what the Lord says. Okay? Some of you are prophets. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I am the prophet. This is what the Lord says. But here's the thing with Isaiah. He's like, he has this encounter. And he suddenly realizes, man, I'm just like everybody else. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And I love it that that qualifies him to go to these people because they are his people, the people of unclean lips. They are the people that are like him. They're his kind. And so he gets to go to them, not as one who is all right now and look at me, I'm righteous. And man, the church has screwed so much up over the years where it's tried to come in and tell people about Jesus from this self-righteous place. But he comes as one who is unclean as well. He comes to his own people. I love it. And then what does he say? Well, what what do the seraphim do? They call holy, holy, holy is the Lord almighty. We said already what that means. It means set apart. Basically, the angels, they're saying to one another, this God, look at him. There's no one else like him. Nothing else like him. There's no other way like his way. There's no other hope like the hope he brings. There's no other forgiveness that is total like his forgiveness. There is no other love that is unending like his love. He is completely set apart, completely different. And those of you that know him, You get to go to people and you get to declare, holy, holy, holy. That's not something people like to hear. That's because we've misunderstood what that means. It means this God's amazing. This God's amazing. Amazing. Chapter 6, verse 4. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. How did that happen? At the sound of their voices, your voice has the power to shake temples. When you know him and he dwells in you and you speak truth about who he is, your voice has the power to shake temples. Temples of false gods. Temples that people are living in. They don't look like physical temples anymore. In fact, the Bible tells us that we've become temples of the Holy Spirit. And I think if that's true of those of us that follow Jesus, I wonder how true that is of those that don't. What have their lives become? Temples of all kinds of other gods. But your voice, the words that you say when you declare the truth about him, those words have the power to shake temples. Temples of false gods. They have the power to fill them with smoke. I was dwelling on this. I was like, man, what do I learn from that? Like when we declare stuff about the truth of who God is and it fills the temple with smoke. And I looked down to Isaiah 6 verse 9 and, and God tells Isaiah, go and tell the people, uh, be ever hearing but never understanding. And I was like, that's a weird thing, isn't it? Go and confuse them. And I was like, oh, that's what smoke does. It' have been in a room full of smoke and you can't see, I used to lead worship years ago at the mix um, up at Woody's, and they went through a phase of making it really, really dark, putting really bright spotlights in front of the stage and filling the room with smoke. And it was fascinating because as a worship leader, you're stood there playing your guitar. I'm dripping with sweat because of the lights and the, the sweat in my eyes is already making it difficult enough to see. And then the room is filled with smoke and I'm like... I mean, I'm just going for it. I don't know if anybody's out there. Apparently, there are 500 young people in this room, but I can't see any of them. So I'm just going to keep going and hope that they're worshipping Jesus, too. Like smoke stops us seeing what is going on, doesn't it? And, and, And God says, go and declare the truth of who I am. And do you know what's going to happen when you do that? It's going to shake some temples and it's going to cause some confusion. It's going to cause confusion because people have been believing one thing. They've been believing this is what the world is like. This is true. This is my story. This is how I live. And you're going to be saying, no, 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 no. You're trapped in this prison that you think is freedom. But there's a holy, holy, holy God who is so good. And he's got a different story for you to live in. And they're going to be like, what? What? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be uncomfortable for some people. and It's going to cause confusion. But your words have power to change lives, to tear down temples that have become prisons for people that they are trapped in and set them free so that they can worship in the true temple with the true God, the God of freedom, the God of love, the God of hope, the God of joy, the God of peace. That God. And then Isaiah 6, 6, and we'll wrap up here, I promise. then one of the seraphim flew to me. This is after he's like, woe to me, I'm a mess. The seraphim, he flew to me and he took a live coal from the altar in his hand with the tongs and he touched my mouth with it and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. I love this. In Isaiah's vision, he saw this crazy, holy creature that was on fire worshiping around the throne and then he saw that crazy fiery holy angelic being who caught up who was caught up in worship leave the throne and come to him when he had cried out in his brokenness and I was like boom that's amazing isn't that what Jesus does for us but more than that isn't that what we're called to do as well We're called to be fiery. We're called to be torches that are set alight, that live lives of brightness in this dark world. And we're called, yes, to worship God. Yes, to declare his praise. But not to be so caught up in our little Christian bubble that when someone out there says, woe to me, for I am ruined, that we won't walk out and leave that and go to them and take a live coal of faith and touch their lips with it and let Jesus cover them. And so suddenly, when God says, who will go for us? I think Isaiah saw all of that, and he went, oh, send me, send me, send me. Some of you in this place, you've been touched by Jesus, and you're burning, you're on fire, you know that. And you've been living that and you've been calling out, holy, holy, holy. And you've been declaring it in this place. And you've been declaring it among your Christian friends. But there's people in your lives that are crying out, woe to me, for I am ruined. This this chapter, it ends with God giving this prophecy about the people of God being cut down like a stump. They've become this tree that bears bad fruit and it gets cut down and all that's left is the stump. And we're like, oof, man, that's a hard word. (laughs) They're left as a stump. But then you read on through Isaiah 7 and 8 and 9, and you get the story about this child that's going to be born, and you're like, oh, this is something stirring here. And then you get to chapter 11, and we read that this stump now has this shoot that starts growing out of it. And this child is this shoot. And this shoot is going to grow up and bring good fruit. And this shoe is Jesus, right? And here's the thing. Some of you know people in your lives that feel like they've been cut down. They feel like all they've got left is this stump. And they need you to go to them and be a fiery serpent, be a light, and take the coal of faith that you have and touch their lips and say, you're atoned for. And there is hope because there is a shoot that will spring up from your stump and bring new life and new fruit and new hope and new joy and new peace and new love to you, to you. That's it, guys. That's the word. Two things. One, some of you are in part one, right? Some of you are living that story. Some of you feel like you're the stump. You've been cut down. Some of you feel like, woe to me. Some of you are desperate to know Jesus more. And you know that other kings have been living on the throne of your life. And they need to come off. And today Jesus says to you, hey, if you just take those kings off, if you tell them you're not king anymore, I will come and I will be king. And you will see me high and lifted up on the throne of your heart. And others of you, you're already in that place. And you know, That you've been caught up, holy, holy, holy. But faintly in the distance is the cry of people that you know and love. Woe to me, for I am ruined. And today God is saying, who shall we send? And it's your turn to say, Lord, send me. It's your turn to go and to take hope to those people. So here's what I want to do. This is going to be weird and uncomfortable. Is that all right? I, I there's no shame here, all right there's no anything like that, but there are two things we've talked about and and I want to pray for both of those groups and yeah let 's do it like this Nathan, why don't you come? Um, what I want is this if if you think yeah i'm i'm part one, right? I really just need to encounter him I haven't encountered him, and I want to encounter him, I really want to know this God, I, I really want to meet with him, then I, I want you guys, not right now, in a minute, I'm going to ask everyone to up and move so it will be safe. You won't feel like you're standing out, all right? But I want you guys to come and stand over here, okay? And, and then those of you who are like, yeah, I send me, it's my turn. I know that there are those people in my life that I get to carry the coal of faith to, to bring hope to them. It, I need to go. If that's you, I want you to come and stand just over here. Is that okay? All right. So why don't we all just stand up? And I'm going to say one, two, three, go. And go. <laughs> this side or this side. One, two, three, go. Go. If you, if you want to meet with Jesus, come stand here. If you know you need to be sent, come stand here. All right. Let's, let's just do this. Guys, come come right up to the front. Come on, if that's you, come right up. And this side as well. Just come and stand. Just come and stand here. Amazing. We just invite you to move in this place. I thank you, God, just for the humility in the hearts of the people that have moved that know that either they want to meet with you or they know that they want to be sent by you. We just pray, come. I want to pray first just for these guys on this side, the send me guys. And the rest of you, I'd love it if you just reach out your hands this way with me, all right? Let's just reach out to these guys over here. And Lord, I thank you for for these people that have come forward. I thank you, God, that they have known you. I thank you, God, that you have been on the throne of their lives. I thank you, Father, that they have experienced you as the holy, holy, holy one who is completely set apart, who has shown them goodness and forgiveness and mercy and grace and healing and freedom and hope and joy and peace. I thank you that that is their story. And I pray now, Holy Spirit, set them on fire. Set them on fire. Come, fire of God. Stir up their hearts. Stir up that passion within them. And God, give them open ears to hear the voices of those who are crying out, Woe to me, for I am ruined. Give them the boldness and the confidence to go. And give them the words to express the holy, holy, holy to those around them. Holy Spirit. Guys, on this side, this feels like a weird thing for me to say, but I'm going to do it. As your pastor, (laughs) in the name of Jesus, I commission you be filled, be set on fire and go 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 and declare holy 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 go and respond to the call of the people that you know and love that are saying woe to me for I am ruined you are equipped in his name you are released in his name and he has everything that you need to do what he's calling you to do so go And I'm going to ask you guys to physically go right now, not out the door, but to these guys. I'm going to ask you guys to go and to lay hands on these guys and let's pray for them now. These guys are longing to encounter him, right? They are longing to see him on the throats of their hearts. So let's go and let's lay hands on them now and let's pray. Is that okay? All of you guys, come on these guys are going to come and they're just going to lay hands on you and we're just going to pray i'm just going to invite the holy spirit to come i'm going to pray as well but you guys just pray Father God, I thank you for these guys that have come forward that are so desperate just to meet with you. I thank you, God, that uh, that you are who you say you are and that you long for us to meet with you. So Father, I pray over these guys now that the kings that have been on the throne, the things that have been stopping them see you. I pray, Lord, that those kings will be brought down now I pray that anything else that has been on the throne would be dethroned so that you could be enthroned. Holy Spirit, come. Just, some of you that have been prayed for, you might just want to hold out your hands and just receive as he is starting to move in this place. Just close your eyes and just let him start ministering to you.